those first four years are where a lot of the foundations are set. And if you can set the expectation high for all those underclassmen below you, then it's just the expectation from there on out. So now with like going or going back, it's pretty similar. You know what I mean? Because the expectations Mm -hmm. is the same and uh, it doesn't really change because he holds them accountable. And once you have that system in place, it's just all good from there. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Better at Beach Volleyball podcast. My name is Mark Burrick, and today we have a very special guest. He's coached at a few of our camps. He is the hot new kid on the AVP, uh, relative unknown, and in a year in his first auto main draw, going on to the Norseca Tour, actually tonight, uh, leaving for Mexico the night of this interview. And we're fired up to have him and to learn from him and see what we can pull from his knowledge bank and uh, how he thinks about the game. But huge round of applause. <laughs> Evan Corey, what's going on, buddy? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Life is good. Um, just came off of camp a couple of weeks ago, kind of settling into that. And uh, I know you're in Hawaii were... right now, right? I just got back from Hawaii. Oh, okay. So back to Cali. My brother's starting a little coffee company. Not so little, actually pretty big. And I was out there to help him and actually do a little like small business consulting, which I'm pretty mm-hmm. fired up about. And uh, we made some big steps while we were out there. And uh, now I'm back. So Sweet. hanging out. But you've been busy. Yeah, uh, you just uh, got through a Norseca qualifier, and now you are on your way to Mexico tonight. So um, let's let's talk quickly about what the Norseca qualifier was like, and mm-hmm. and uh, maybe we could riff on Norseca. We'll go to the the beginning, the whole like intro um, where you started playing and everything. So love to hear yeah. about uh, the Norseca event first. Yeah, I mean, uh, so far it's been a uh, smooth. Uh, I'm hoping it continues to be that way. Um, but the qualifier, uh, we only had four teams, um, and, uh, they take top two, which I didn't know. Um, but, uh, so we won our first game and then Travis and Timmy, we played them in the second game and they were like, uh, just kind of confused or like not confused, but they're like, I was confused more, I guess. They're like, do you want to play? And I was like, why wouldn't we play? Like it's the last round of the qualifier. I want to play for first place. Mm-hmm. But they're like, yeah. I mean, usually like people will rock paper scissors for first because usually both teams get in. And I was like, well, I'm gonna guarantee that I get in. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to put this up to chance. So uh, smooth. Uh, felt really, really good. Um, Bill and I just uh, keep uh, connecting on a, a better note every single day. Uh, so just super excited to to keep taking that into competition. Uh, you, you do a lot of stuff in practice and you work on stuff here and there, but it's been good for us. We had the qualifier, um, which was like, I think a week before, no, it was, uh, the Wednesday before Panama city. Well, before so, we get into that, how, how did you sign up for a qualifier? So like, how does, how does the next 21, 23 year old, uh, Evan Corey sign up to go and travel internationally for USA? Yeah. So that was the difficult part for me um because i'm not in the U- i'm not in the usa system yet okay. uh like i'm not in the email system or email chain or anything thankfully for me uh bill already is and then my girlfriend uh savvy simo also is and so uh they get all the emails and so i'm just like waiting like all right hey whenever there's an email sent to you just let me know forward it to me 
and uh that'll help me out but uh from what i've kind of noticed and seen is the whole registration system for fivbs and norsecas uh the usa just has one link that like connects to all of them so like you can sign up for every single fivb like on one page and like you can just do it in one day pretty much and just go down the list and keep signing up and keep signing up for all of them and then i think as the norsecas pop up that's when those registration links become available so mm. it's um just i don't know it's just weird to me because like i feel you like gotta check in on a regular basis right yeah. it's you're never gonna know when an event is gonna pop up and norseka if everybody is following taylor crab uh, he just you know posted a rager against norseka something that we've all known for two decades that norseka is poorly run poor mm. organizational skills um and so they will, like you said, they'll just pop up with a tournament or they'll have 15 tournaments on their schedule and eight of them will get canceled by the end of the mm -hmm. summer. So you have to look at those links from USA Volleyball and you have to be ready to sign up on a whim. And then you show up on, when was this qualifier? Was it a Wednesday or a Tuesday? It was a Wednesday, yeah. So we played Wednesday uh, and it's just like a Wednesday morning in Manhattan Beach. Uh, and I think that's kind of the key for, for the international part is like as much as like people want to be able to do stuff from a different area, which like I was doing in New Orleans, you know what I mean? And like, I felt like I sustained a good amount of success, but there's like a certain part of time or like a certain period of time where you're like, you know what, if I want to go play international, you have to be here. You have to be in California. And it's super unfortunate from like, I mean, there's certain circumstances. I think like Taryn and Kristen had like the fortunate circumstance of being able to go and get into a qualifier with zero points. But mm -hmm. on the men's side of things, that's not a, a reality. Uh, there's too many men's teams that are just going and signing up. And like um, there's teams with like like Travis and Timmy, uh, Travis Muerder and Timmy Brewster both have solid points. And there's like Futures Event, which is like the lowest tier FIVB. Mm -hmm. And they can't get in with like, three solid finishes so in order to be able to do that you have to be here and you have to be trying to do these norsecas because that's how you got to get points and try and get into the game and try and get skins in the game um and i kind of noticed that in the off season um and was just like screw it let's let's go for it yeah i think it's still one of those weird truths of of being i'm not going to say competitive but being involved in in the ability to go and compete internationally for the USA. You can, many people have proven that you can get to the AVP without being in California. Mm -hmm. Is it easier from a training standpoint and competitors and the pool of partners that you can say like, ah, you know, somebody's somebody tweaked their ankle, so I'm gonna practice with this person today. And then you start seeing who you can play with. Just from the international standpoint of saying, oh yeah, there's a qualifier next week and it's on a Wednesday and there might be a tournament that Saturday. So now you've got two round trip flights or, is, you know, a multi-city flight. The case was because Wednesday was the North Sacred qualifier and then uh, Panama City was Friday, Saturday. And so mm -hmm. we played Wednesday and then I ended up flying out Wednesday night and going. So, I mean... If it was Thursday, we uh, it was originally on Thursday, and they switched it to Wednesday because everybody who was playing pretty much was like, hey, we're playing this Panama City qualifier. We need to be there. Yeah. And so can you switch the qualifier to Wednesday? So they 
thankfully did that because our goal, I mean, we, since we're already qualified for Austin, we're like, you know what? We're not going to go to Panama City. Panama City was more for just a like a practice for us. You know what I mean? Kind of yeah. dry run of competition and feeling each other out. And we're like, well, we're going to just do the, the Norseka then if that's the case and just play on Thursday. So thankfully they ended up moving that. But like it wouldn't have been possible if I didn't live out here because I would have had to go from New Orleans and then I would have had to change my trip mm-hmm. to L.A. and then L.A. back. And so it would have just been way too much. Yeah. Not not easy if you're not here for the trials, for the tryouts, and uh, and involved and in the face with, with USA Volleyball. I did that, I guess this is seven years ago now, and I just realized, oh my goodness, all of these, the Norseka playoffs where all the USA teams compete against each other to see who goes to the Continental Tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and that usually will help you build some low world tour points and hopefully you know that gets you your way to the world tour you don't even know that those exist when you live in new orleans when you live in new york it's you're just like what is there we have to use like a a a ball that they sell at toys r us to compete in this (laughs) (laughs) um to compete in this thing where there are no fans there are four referees and everybody's just battling against each other it's so funny that the continental qualifier something that's so important for the career of an international player, a future international player, is a fanless event. It's not that they're not allowed, but it's literally four refs, just half of the AVP, and uh, just battling. And it feels like another practice day. It really does. But it's it's important for you to be able to get that international experience. Yeah. And, and we... Thankfully, they're, they've increased Norseka points, like Continental Tour points. So now, like, if you win, it's, like, 80% of, like, the future. So, like, it's okay. actually kind of worth it to go and, like, try and get these points because it's not like, oh, you're just getting, like, pennies on the dime here. It's yeah. it's actually decent amount and kind of worth it now. It used to be that. Like, when, when I started, I think it was seven years ago, we played – we qualified for two different sections, you know, and when we were going, it would, one qualifier would qualify you for two to three events. And like I said, you'd usually go to one because two of them might be canceled by Norseka. <laughs> so you're just like hoping that you qualify for the right events where all of them don't get canceled. Mm-hmm. And that, that did literally happen. But at that time, the Norseka points, you know, through Norseka's and a couple of world tours, I was able to get to top 100 rankings in FIVB just through continental events which is Mm -hmm. kind of insane if you think about it now because now you have all of those tiers um and norseka is pretty low and we're not going to get into all of the point structures and everything today because to to track it as a player is difficult enough you can't even explain it to a fan i'm like you gotta i don't know just show up and win a lot and then you can get into stuff you know (laughs) if if you if that's all you do if you just win my, my best explanation is kind of what me and Logan did last year. Is like, all right, hey, look, we won a lot, and we won at all these really difficult events. Now we're in a good spot. Yeah. And, and like, that's in order to, to, to make it, that's what you have to do. Exactly. Cool. All right. Well, a good little life update, but let's, uh, let's run through some of, the, some of the questions so people can get to know you. All right. Yeah. So, Evan, uh, we just want to know when and why did you start playing beach volleyball? Yeah, so uh, I started playing when I was about 14 years old. Um, I I got into it kind of just by chance. It was more like um, 
uh, Coconut Beach, which you've been to. So anybody who doesn't know Coconut Beach out in uh, New Orleans, which is where I'm from and just recently moved from uh, out to California. Um, I just played there, um, but I didn't play to start. I just went and watched. Um, they have like these massive like. I mean, you saw the the, the complex is massive, but Huge. twenty like twenty something courts, like a football and, field. Yeah, and uh, in these twenty something courts, they run leagues every night, like these beer leagues where people just go out, have fun with their friends. And so my mom and my dad uh, did it, but mostly my mom would take me out on like Thursdays or Friday nights. I can't remember exactly which night that she played, but we play. She'd go out and play with her friends on the night and. Um, just being a competitor, I always played sports growing up and stuff. I mean, you, you watch a sport and like, you know, you just want to play. It's, it's so hard to just be a spectator sometimes, especially as a kid, you, you mean, as a kid, you're just like, you want to go out, you got so much energy, you just want to go play. And so people I, always, I get made fun of all the time when people are like, Hey man, um, you know, do you watch basketball? Do you watch, do you watch baseball? I go, man, I, I play sports. I don't watch them. <laughs> like, I, I know no stats about any sports, any teams, but if you throw me a ball, like, yeah. Let's let's go play, but I'm not gonna sit in my yeah. living room ever and sit down and watch something when I can be out playing it. Yeah, so um, I'm like dying to play, just always dying to play whenever she brings me out and like they have their team set or whatever, and like she just never let me play. They would never let me play, and I'm just oh wow, so frustrated. And so uh, a couple weeks into the season or whatever of one of their seasons, uh, they need a sub and they can't find a sub for that night, no matter like how, who they call their friends and whatever. And so my mom, like on the way, she's like, Hey, like, we don't have anybody to play. You can sub with us tonight. And I was like, yes, finally. <laughs> and like super excited. And I mean, we're down on like net 14 and like, I mean, and we're down in the boonies. Like, mm -hmm. I think, uh, people are more worried about, uh, the beer specials than they are the score of the game. Sure. But, um, I get into the game and they were like, wait, he's actually like, pretty good compared to us like just naturally and so uh i kind of became a regular part of their team and uh we worked our way up from like net 14 to like net seven or eight like eventually uh throughout each season which was kind of cool and then um the owner of the complex at the time uh bruce white was uh pretty big on trying to develop boys juniors and anytime he saw like a, a juniors boy out there was just like hey we need you out here we need like we, we he wants to help so he'd like coach us for free and like uh, just like before the leagues would start, would just like bring you out and like run you through these drills and just like absolutely just demolish like any kind of like uh, self-confidence you had about your volleyball game. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it made you, it made you tough and it made you, I mean, it made me a lot better. There's about eight of us out there and we got so much better through that. And then, um, you know, through that, just kind of, you keep getting picked up. People start seeing you. And uh, I would go out. My mom loves to tell a story like six nights a week. So all right. five nights that there were leagues and then the Saturday that they'd run a tournament out of the complex, uh, cool. she dropped me off at like five, six p.m. on a weeknight and then just picked me up at 11 o'clock. And I just go out and play for like five or six hours. I'd pepper with whoever I could. I'd play pickup games with whoever I could. Just so you anything. were you were playing before you were being coached. Unlike, I think, yeah. like a lot of juniors. Okay, so you picked it up at the time when most other players are joining a team. Mm -hmm. You were just picking it up, kind of like a, a lot of grown-ups pick it up, where they're just yeah. like in their mid-20s, or well, what's this beer league? But you were doing that before you even joined a team. Yeah, so, I mean, like, and just kind of learned 
through that. And I mean, you, the more you play out there, the more people are like, oh, this kid's getting kind of good. And so you just keep getting picked up by better and better teams. And like mm. within within two years, uh, we were I was already up to like court one, which is I mean like right. the top court. And so uh, thankfully, did had, you play any high school volleyball during that? Uh, there's no high school volleyball in Louisiana, so zero um, men's high school volleyball, but there is zero. for women. Yes. Um, and I mean, I went to an all boys school, so I didn't even have the opportunity to like try and protest that. You know what I mean? Right. Or, like I could like try and play on the women's team or something like that. But, uh, I started playing team wise, I guess when I was 16, um, I joined, uh, the indoor club, cool. uh, Bayou boys and, uh, there, but there was no tryouts or anything. So basically we had eight kids from all across Louisiana and you showed up to the gym and you were on the team. And awesome. so that was our team. But I mean, fortunately, we had a really good coach. Uh, one of the kids on our team, his mom was a multiple time state champion coach for the, the girl side in high school. And uh, she just t- taught us to be really disciplined. And I mean, we didn't really have a lot of height or anything, but uh, we had a lot of heart. <laughs> and so we got really good at passing and we got really good at defense and, uh, and a lot and really good at serving to, to zones. And as most people know, at a higher level, that's going to win you a lot of volleyball games. Mm-hmm. And so our, our like uh, whole model around things was like uh, we had really good passers and then our setter was pretty good because his mom was the coach. And so he'd been playing volleyball for a long time. And our whole thing was like, just get the ball up and set Evan. And so, <laughs> I mean, uh, she, she took stats my 18s year and uh, I hit 70% of all possible balls. Oh man. Uh, so, which is absurd for indoor. I mean like <laughs> that's absurd maybe, for indoor. Maybe you're getting 20% like if you're like the guy on any other team, like mm-hmm. 20 to 25% maybe. But no, 70% of the possible balls is what I was was contact on the third contact. Oof. And then you went um and you played in college, right? I did. I went and played indoor at Lincoln Memorial in Tennessee. Did they re- did they recruit you, Lincoln Memorial? Did they recruit you out of that club system, or did you have to send a tape to the coach, or what happened there? So I joined. There's like a recruiting website uh, called NCSA, and I joined that uh, since I was like for the whole two two years I was playing from 16 to 18. I was on there, mm. and I wasn't really getting like much interest or anything. And like, well, you're uh, from Louisiana, no one's gonna even pay attention. Yeah, I'm sure he's the best in Louisiana. Like, well, exactly. people would automatically like, try a- to cut you down. I have I have emails where coaches were like, uh, "No thanks, you're from Louisiana, you don't have volleyball." I was like, "What? Like, you don't don't even look at the tape or anything. Like, don't even come watch me play. Like, you at least, you at least give me the shot. Like, mm-hmm. give me the chance." But um, so at that point, I had almost just given up. I was I had D three and NAI stuff, but I was like, you know, I I know I can play at the best level, and if I'm not playing at the best level, I'm not going to do it because I know I can compete with all these people. And so I was like, but all or nothing. And I was like, you know what? If you're not going to, if y'all aren't going to take a chance on me, I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to go. I mean, I was good in school. And so I was like, I'm just going to go be really smart and go to a really high academic school and just get a normal career uh, and play beach volleyball on the beach volleyball on the side of that. But uh, Mm -hmm. thankfully, um, going into my senior year, I was not even going to play club actually. So my 18th year, I was like, I'm just not going to do it. Uh, But my, my stepdad, before he was even my stepdad, uh, he was just dating my mom and he was like, no, I think you should. And so he literally gave up his entire salary because I didn't want to make my mom or my dad pay anything because I mean, we weren't well off financially for that stuff. And so I was like, I don't want to waste their money if I'm not going to go do this in college. Like, this is the whole reason we've been doing it. 
and he was just like I'll coach the team and he he played professionally in Puerto Rico indoor and so like huh. he he knows the game pretty well and so he gave up his entire salary for the club season so I could play and try and go get a scholarship he's like you need wow. to go you need to go do this um you're going to you're going to really really regret this later in life if you don't at least go try for a year you need to try it for a year if you don't like it fine whatever uh, you can you can quit and come back home after a year, but if you don't go and try that that that's just like a waste of your potential because you're too good for that. And so eventually, uh, Lincoln Memorial doesn't even call me until March of my senior year. First phone call, first contact, because the first year of the program was my first year. So oh, the wow. coach okay. had just gotten hired, and he was like scrambling in March. He's like, dude, I mean, like it's really late in the recruiting cycle. Uh, I have I don't know who to pick up or anything. There's not going to be much left for me. Hmm. Um, but he called me up and I was like, yeah, I'd be interested. So, um, I end up going on a visit in April, right after I, I win FUDs, uh, I win FUDs on a Sunday and then drive back home, get on a plane Monday morning, at like 5am. So I'm on like four hours, three hours of sleep and get on a plane, go visit the school with no team. Uh, the coach doesn't even have an office yet. And he's just telling me on this like pipe dream of like what it could be and, uh, I committed basically because like, he was like, yeah, like, I really feel like we could build this around you. I want to build something special here. And like, to me, it was really special cause it was still in the Southeast. And like, I feel there's just like that, that tie to me that will always yeah. be to the Southeast. And it's like, you know what, I can build something bigger in the Southeast for volleyball. And that's really cool to me. And, awesome. um, over the four years, that's kind of what happened. I mean, um, this year was the first year, I mean, which is six years into the program. We beat three top 15 programs ranked in the top 15 for the first time. And for six years into a program, that just doesn't happen in men's volleyball. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really difficult to try and break into that that top upper echelon. And uh, we had a really, really good coach, John Cash, um, who uh, just, I don't know, he just knows how to build a program. He's just a great leader, uh, knows how to inspire people to, to do great things. And um, uh, he's continuing to just build a great program there. And uh, it feels good to have been a, a big part of that because those first four years are where a lot of the foundations are set. Yeah. And um, if you can set the expectation high for all those underclassmen below you, then it's just the expectation from there on out. So now with like going or going back, it, it's pretty similar. You know what I mean? Because the expectations mm -hmm. is the same and uh, it doesn't really change because he holds them accountable. And once you have that system in place, it's just all good from there. So in all of that, you know, we mentioned your mom who finally let you play. We mentioned Bruce White who uh, had the complex and then pushed you as a kid. Uh, had your stepdad who didn't let you quit the sport, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and then you had a great college coach. And, and now I imagine you've had a, a few mentors since then. So who do you think was the most influential person there? your game, your career, like what was, what was the key person that you think that you could attribute it all like turning forward to or accelerating you? Yeah. So I think all of those people have had tremendous influence in my life uh, that were just mentioned, but I think the turning point was really, uh, so I graduated during COVID. Uh, so during 2020 world shut down. Like, so my professional career kind of started when there was no tournaments. Right. Um, so uh, I was thankful enough. I got back home um, in May and I just started working with uh, Joey Keener, um, who is mm. he's been my coach for the past two years. And 
Um, I mean, he's not out here now or anything, but uh, still talk to him. He still watches like all my practice videos. We still talk about like adjustments and stuff that he sees. Um, but he literally day in and day out uh, from COVID May of 2020 until uh, I just left in March of 2022, literally five days a week if I was in town, uh, coached me for two hours for free. Um, for free? Every- yeah. So this uh, is just somebody who believes in you and and loves volleyball. Yeah, truly, truly loves volleyball, uh, loves seeing the development of people. And um, he just from I mean, I played against him. He played open against me in uh, Louisiana when I was younger. And his my first open win actually ever was against him in a finals. So it's kind of like a cool full circle moment. But he's just uh, just truly wants to, to make our area and our region known for volleyball. And uh, he kind of brings this mentality and of uh, kind of having that chip on your shoulder. And we I mean, a lot of the people from our area. Uh, kind of have that same mentality because he kind of does coach anybody that's good from our area on the men's side is from him. Uh, right. So, I mean, we have somebody like Ian Bicko who just goes and beats Eric and Avery in Panama City, um, which is a hell of a win for them. And I mean, like that is credited probably a lot to Joey because, I mean, this guy just gives so much for us to try and be successful. And I mean, we thankfully are able to give back to him a little bit by helping him coach his juniors club. But, I mean, he just gave so much and poured so much energy, not only, like, knowledge-wise, but also emotionally and trying to, to help develop us as people. So it's just I can't say enough good things about him. What do you think the best thing uh, he gave you was? Was it a mindset? Was it a skill set, a way of thinking about the game, a strategy? You know, what thing did he implement into your game that you think is the most important that you like to hold on to? Yeah, so um, I think a lot of people probably mostly look at coaches for their ability to teach a certain skill or teach a certain way of like a system or something. Mm. But uh, one thing that he teaches a lot is one is creativity. So he's he's always going to be looking for new ideas. Uh, we're always playing around with new different things. Like we'll go, he'll go and watch a video. Like he just watches every FIVB match and he tries to find similarities. And he's like, all right, I've been seeing a lot of these similarities and these like top players. Let's go and try this out and see how we like it in our system and see if it works. Mm-hmm. So one, his creativity. And then two, I would say is like his uh, social intelligence, which is kind of sounds weird. No, uh, I, but I, but I think in beach volleyball, that is like extremely, extremely important. Because it's everything like, for beach volleyball coaches. It is because we have so well, one, he knows how to get to every single player. So he's able to try and pull out the best of your abilities. He really makes like he's he makes your personality shine, which is huge. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like you can feel like you can be yourself. And I feel like when you're your most yourself on your court, that's when you play your best because you're just playing freely. You're not thinking about anybody else. You're not thinking yeah. about anything. Yeah. So he unlocks that potential of just letting you like express yourself on the court. And then also like the the part of like uh, knowing how to talk to your partner, how to communicate effectively and how to get the best out of your partner because i mean beach volleyball you rely so much on another human being that like if you're not getting the best out of your partner you're probably not going to win so really trying to figure out how people's brains work and like he's he's really good at that and trying to teach he was like he's taught me a lot about okay like you've got to know the personality of your partner how they receive 
like uh like compliments and how like how to how to make them feel like they're the man does he give you any tricks to do that is there a number one thing that you that you attribute back to joey that you say i always do this with my partners and and joey gave that to me (laughs) um i think it's always like just making them feel like they are the best player at the tournament Mm. um and how they receive that is different based on the person so like somebody like uh like bill who is a little bit more to himself logan's kind of the same way a little bit more to themselves maybe you don't make them feel like you know what i mean like you don't want to give them all this attention because some people don't like the attention you know what i mean but there's different ways so like but there's also people who it's like okay this person like everybody in this complex needs to know that this guy is the best player and you can scream it all you want (laughs) like there's different ways of getting that to people but i think it's just making your partner feel like they are the best player in the tournament however you however you figure that out and that takes time which is difficult and i think that's why it's so valuable to me because it's difficult because there's so many different things that go on in people's brains up here that like you don't know and you've got to you've got to almost experiment with it and see how they react to things and pay attention whenever you say something how they react to things i love that i love that we talk about that a lot uh in our courses and camps about uh, exactly what you just said making somebody feel like they are the best person on the court in the tournament on the beach in the avp wherever because when you nitpick and you give like little criticisms along the way each one of those is a small chip in somebody's confidence Mm -hmm. and after 40 points when it's 1919 in the second set a lot you of want chips. That person, yeah, you want that person feeling like a god, or do you want them feeling like they've got 19 things they need to fix? Yeah. <laughs> There's a huge difference, and most people do not understand that in any way, and they don't understand how to implement that. And uh, I've had moments where I've struggled with that, and then I got got back to it. I think in college, I was a fantastic teammate, and just because I had no skill. Mm-hmm. I was just raw energy and that's what i brought and then once i started acquiring skill i for i think i neglected the energy for a while and now Mm -hmm. i'm sort of back to an even keel where it's like all right now i've got the energy and i know how to make you feel good and that the the reason that i got on a court in indoor initially or even on the team was solely because of the energy no skill whatsoever and if you can attribute that both in indoor and in beach if you can bring the positive energy that makes other people feel better, do better, do things, um, you have you can have an effect on the game without touching the ball. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like Joey did that as a coach. Does yeah. did, uh, and you can do that as a teammate. So I, lo- I love that. Yeah, and I think a, a thing too is uh, the other team feels it. You know what I mean? Mm. And that's like it's like not a good feeling when you feel like when the other side feels like they're unstoppable then like that puts a little bit of pressure back on you. So like most people in that kind of crumble. I mean, there's some, there's, there's great teams out there that they're going to be like, you know what, we're going to, we're going to butt back, but most people don't like to butt heads with that energy. And like that, that creates an advantage for you in the long run because there's so much energy and positivity and like, yeah, we're going to win this game that like sometimes whenever you get a little bit of a lead, Teams are like, you know what? They are going to win this game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, even when you're playing like young kids, they're in an open tournament and you're kind of ready or assuming that you're going to beat them down and they come out with all this energy and they get one kill and they fire themselves up and they start screaming. 
you're just kind of waiting for them to calm down. You're like, just, shh. you know, you can't, you look at them like one of the dogs that are yapping and if they yeah. never calm down, you're then you're like, like, oh, are these, like, when are these guys just going to give up and, and know their place? And the people who don't know their place by the end of the match, who stay fired up, those are the ones who keep getting the most points, but the people that die down, the, the teams that like, once you knock them down three times and they stay down, those are teams that they don't get to play. They don't get to get better for the next set and a half mm-hmm. because they're, they just feel like a beaten dog. So they're just down there and they won't come back and they won't attempt to learn because all they're thinking is I'm waiting out this loss. But the people that stay high energy and fired up for every point, they're figuring out each individual point, how to win. And that's the team that's going to keep getting better. Those are the athletes that are going to keep rocking. Mm-hmm. Let's move on a little bit to, some skills for you it sounds like you've just always been a hitter you fly you might be the best jumper on the avp right now it's it's between you and troy i guess maybe budinger but sounds like hitting maybe came natural to you but what do you think was the was or is right now the hardest skill or technique that you're developing or have developed yeah so for me right now i think it's just still a, a full work in progress is my defense just because I didn't transition to defense. I never played defense until the end of 2020. So mm-hmm. as you jumped high, so everybody was like, oh, I'll put you at the Oh, es- especially at home, yeah, where there's n- I'm the tallest person and I jump high. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> of course you're going to go to the net. Yeah, the 5 and 50-year-old like, is like putting you up there and he's like, great, you can block for me. It's like, exactly. Okay. <laughs> but uh, it's just there's, and I'm sure you know, uh, there's so much nuance to like a high-level defense. And uh, just learning that and kind of honing in those skills for me uh, is just a work in progress every day. It gets frustrating at times for me because like there's certain points where you reach a high level match and you're like, oh, there's another level that I don't know yet. (laughs) But you want to know, but it just takes time. And so I think the big the big joke right now, I have Evie uh, Matthews is my coach and he's just he's a really high level thinker. Uh, Guy knows a lot about the game, Um, but Sometimes it's like him, Sarah and Kelly just uh, won gold. Wow, they so look incredible. He is right? Still leading top-notch teams. Still, yeah. sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt. Go no, back. you're good. Um, but our strength and conditioning coach, because he knows every pretty well as well, and he's like, "You got to tell this dude's brain to slow down," because like, like you said, you only have been playing this for a year and a half, two years now, mm-hmm. and Evie's been teaching this and playing this for like thirty years. Right. So you've got to tell him you're like, he's like on that calculus level and you got to get him down to algebra. Like <laughs> tell this dude to teach you the algebra before you get to calculus. And then, then we can start talking. But basically it's just starting to learn. Like it's even still the basic stuff, you know what I mean? And like positioning and, and finding out what makes hitters think a different way. And even for me, sometimes it's like the, the angle and the, the softness I need to create on some of my digs just cause it's not their muscle memory yet. I haven't, okay been able to play or haven't played and practice and enough reps to fully have the comfortability in that yet. So is it the positioning? Are you currently working on the positioning that will make somebody hit a certain shot or just being in the right position for a certain dig or a certain shot? Uh, what, what exactly, if you could dive down, because the people who are listening here are trying to figure out where they are in their game and one actionable thing that they can fix or or that they know that you're working on so maybe they can work on the same thing i think for me is the the most important thing right now is my base position for a one block Uh, so for just like all kinds of blocks so when i'm first getting into the court like figuring out what is like a good spot in the middle of the court for me to kind of start making my moves 
Mm. Like we, we, a lot of people talk about starting in that middle back position and kind of making your move from there. Um, Do you like that but, position? Entering like straight through the middle. I've, for me, I've gotten completely rid of that. I did it for the first eight years and I'm just like, mm -hmm. I'm never entering middle again. I'll, yeah. I'll go very near my position or wherever I think this person needs to see me in order to get the next dig. Yeah. So I'm kind of figuring out that like, based on the block we're running, there's different positioning. And so, and then like, you can change that up throughout a match to give people different looks. And like, if you're playing for shots, okay, maybe my positioning on like a line block will just be in the angle every single time to start. And then one time I'll go middle. And then what does that make the hitter think or something like that? You know what I mean? So changing all of that up to, to kind of play that chess game with the hitter and try and getting some, especially against teams or teams that shoot a lot, yeah. uh, really trying to give them different visual cues and really trying to make them think and giving them uh, and I, like late moves and stuff like that. I think the other thing that I'm really working on right now is staying balanced um, when the hitter is attacking because I think I get into this like rhythm of like, oh, this is the shot they're supposed to hit whenever I'm making this move. And so I'm just making this move here. And like, it needs to be a little bit more intentional. And mm -hmm. I think that's my problem right now is okay, making that intentional move so that I'm ready to still move whenever they attack that ball. I like that. So you're out of the phase, which I think is important for a lot of players to be out of where you enter middle, hide your position by sitting in the middle and then you mm -hmm. either jump into the diagonal if you got a line mm -hmm. block or you jump into the parallel if you got a cross block yeah now you're trying to play the the full point and that that often doesn't work because as soon as you jump into the diagonal oh the, defender, high level players are going to see that Game high line it. for sure and you can't even 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 if you think it's a high line you're too late because you're off balance by that late mm -hmm. jump uh, but if you do that sparingly and you figure out other positions and then you don't just go for that dig right you say what did this make them do or what did i do that made them do that what did they see you, know, yeah. you kind of figure that out instead of playing i think way too many players play each point one point at a time you mm -hmm. know they they sit there and <laughs> they get so pissed every time they don't get a dig and then you'll see top level players who just the other team gets a very clean kill straight to ace and there was not even a move to the ball and they're like they don't care it's whatever yeah, <laughs> it's, it's gaining. It's gaining. It's gaining. Okay, what are they doing every time that we do this? If I serve them here, what are they doing? If I if I serve them here, what are, where are they attacking from? Are they struggling to pass here? If they're attacking from this arm slot, where is their their shot most likely going to? All that. Yeah, and it's not just. I think they see me here. I can't let them see me here. Sometimes I want them to see me here. I want to sit enough to make sure that I dig a hard shot if they're swinging every time. Because if you're jumping and you're moving when somebody's you're not digging hard, a hard jump. <laughs> no way, no way. So you got to choose like light on your feet or dug in, depending on what type of player you think you're against or mm -hmm. what scenario they're in. Yeah. And I think uh, somebody who's helped me out a lot with that is Ty Trambley, who I mean, just excellent defender. Oh, <laughs> like, man. Uh, and been able to, to pick his brain and, and work with him a little bit, which has been, I mean, so, so much help to my game and he, but just the way he talks about defense and he sometimes he's like, you know what? Just stand in the angle, make them. He's like, you know what? Hit this ball through me, hit it through mm. me. I'm going to dig you. And then when you dig them, it's just demoralizing. And that's what he's like. You want to demoralize your opponent by like, they bring their best stuff and, and you just dig them. And he's like, that's my favorite thing on the quirks. I mean, that guy's. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, like his, his defense is just so incredible, but he did struggle at Saturday times mm -hmm. and like 
but I mean, he, he was just like, that was like whenever like us or somebody like me getting a big kill and just like swinging through a block or swinging through a defender, that was his defense. He was like, all right, get it past me. Like, yeah. Like that's when, that's when, like if he gets a great dig, that's when he struts his stuff. I think the people who come from indoor and, and, and Ty did. So he stood down the line because he was a setter in college. He stood down the line against some of the biggest hitter in the country, some of their cross bodies. Mm-hmm. And you know, I played the barrel for a while in, in indoor and that mentality of this is my spot. I'm going to wear this ball and I'm going to dig it. Not my whole team needs to trick this person into hitting something, but just standing in there and saying, I got to dig this ball by just sitting still. People lose that in beach volleyball. When they make that transition, they lose the ability to just hold their ground. And I think people lose a lot of digs because they're so movie, movie, movie all the time. Um, There's a time and a level where you can get movie, but at some point you got to go back to that indoor and saying, this is my zone. If you hit hard diagonal, I'm digging you. And I did the same thing. And I think liberos do the same thing in indoor where it goes, this is my zone. If he hits this way, I'm lipping him. If he hits another way, hopefully my team is there. But I I don't think beach players do that because they worry about that whole open space, Mm -hmm. you know, in the other thing. And they say, but, but what about that? But what about that? But what about that? And if you think, but what about three different things? And you don't you're choose the one it. thing that you're going to defend, right? Yeah. People need to hold on to that, to the hold the ground phase a little bit more. Or at least try it, you know, try it for a few points. Yeah. Okay. So you're currently working on defense, positioning, softening the touches, and then not entering the same way every time so that you can uh, create that look. I mm-hmm. love that. Well, do you have any warnings or advice for exactly, you know, one tip for players who want to be like you who are trying to do that same thing. What is one thing that's working for you while you're doing that? So one thing that's helped me, and I mean, I'm naturally like, or not naturally, but like I built my body up pretty big uh, throughout college. And like, so physically, like I'm pretty strong, but I think during that time I also didn't stretch enough. So, uh, I mean, like I'm strong, but at times like I'm not very, I'm not like you, I'm not going to, be doing pretzels everywhere on the court <laughs> um and i'm not super flexible and um one thing that that ty really stressed to me he was like dude you need to have like the loosest hips to help with your defense because it helps in making those small shifts it helps in digging those balls and getting lower to the ground so you can contact that ball lower and just i found that like the week of stretching or two weeks of stretching i've done since ty's been like hey you need to you need to be uh, more flexible, like my defense is already improving in all, in all of that, which I think is crazy. And I think uh, another thing would just be uh, watching film of yourself. Uh, yeah. That's helped me out a lot because there's sometimes that like you go back and watch and you're like, whenever I was saying like, I'm not intentional with my moves sometimes. Yeah. Like you don't even think about it. You know what I what mean? You mean like, by yeah. when you say intentional with your moves, how do you break so, that like, down? It, I'm like making, I'm like, my move isn't as like fast and efficient as it should be to, to get to my spot. So I'm, I'm ready. You know what I mean? It's kind of a little bit slower. It's like, eh, I'm like kind of getting in there, but I'm, I'm not like, all right, I'm here. And like, I'm ready to move whenever the person's hitting the ball. It's like, I'm like getting ready when they're hitting the ball when as opposed i should be ready like a split second before mm. so that intentional move of like a quick shuffle versus like a 
open up step. That was my thing. So like I'm opening up with one leg and then shuffling, which is like a half a second, not even. And so I'm like, if I make that a quick shuffle instead of opening up with my step, um, I'm there in enough time and I'm ready to move. Nice. Uh, so and then queuing in on looking and positioning your body at the attacker while doing that. Yes. I think that shuffle that you're talking about, because I've gotten into that too, where you shuffle to a place, but you're not actively saying, while I'm moving, I should also be able to dig. Like if you imagine that you could dig every every single ball that like if a thousand balls were being machine gunned at you as yeah. you're moving, would you be able to dig every thousand yeah. one of those balls? <laughs> okay. So that's what you mean by intentional is, yeah. are you getting into a position and making a move so that you are completely ready to dig at every moment or the right moment? How do you interpret it? Uh, I think it's just, uh being in a ready position before they attack the ball because i think i'm getting ready as they're attacking rather than being ready before they're attacking mm. and i think that's a big difference because i think that's the difference between you're loading on your left leg versus you're balanced in the middle and then if you you can't push back to the line if you're loaded and then you know what i mean so uh i think it's it's that so i'm balanced before before they attack not when or as they attack but what about the people that say that then you're giving up their spot you know once you're once you're staying there and you're balanced what about the people that say well okay but if i've stopped in that position then they know where i am and then they can shoot away from me how would you answer somebody that asks that you know i think uh i mean you're gonna start reaching a high high level where people are looking almost as they're attacking the ball but like if you're set like after the jump most of the time you'll be in a good position that they're not going to fully see you, or you can just make a little small move here or there with your upper body to where your lower body still balanced so they can still think something else. But I think uh, like, I, I mean, there's a certain, like, I mean, for most of the people probably listening to this, um, if you're set after the person is in the air, nobody's going to be seeing that. You know what I mean? Um, and if they, if they do, uh, you should have a blocker that's, decent enough and if they just see you in the angle and pop it up high line you should be balanced and ready to move to that spot and you should be and if they're seeing that at that kind of a a level then like you like that person probably shouldn't be playing in in a lower level tournament sure yeah and i think you know there's there's a couple things to unpack there as well it's the people who only jump four or five inches say you're playing th those little jumps there's there's not that time to move in between mm -hmm. take off and jump so for those people maybe get more stable earlier yeah. because if they're jumping that low they're probably not going to shoot or pound say, the ball effectively anyway i was gonna say they're t the time that you're gonna have to chase down your shots gonna be greater so let them see you and then make them hit a good shot and beat you because mm. you're gonna have time to go and run that thing down <laughs> Right. But if you're playing against a high flyer, then you need that drill of let them jump, then I move. And mm -hmm. and that like that red light, green light situation where you can't even lean. You gotta stay completely neutral, mm -hmm. take off, move, and balance, you know, before the hit. And that has to be so quick and so small. But those a lot of defenders, what I used to do is you make this giant move instead of a half of a shuffle step you know, into that position. And that giant move puts you so off balance 
that now like all of the positioning work you've done is now eradicated because you're off balance. Mm -hmm. So I think people could, could probably do with some smaller shifting, like little half shuffles. Um, and that practice of seeing somebody jump, like you were saying, then moving. I think a lot of people, they move on the jump and that's too early because I, I can still look at you while I'm jumping. I yeah. can't really see you too well, like way after I'm in the air. But while I'm jumping, if you're leaning or moving. As you say, if you're taking your look in that step close, as your eyes are dragging up to the ball, you're still seeing in your peripherals what's kind of going on. Mm. Just a little bit. And so, I mean, if you make that big move whenever my peripherals are on their way up, or, and I'm seeing that big move, I'm like, all right, easy. Nice. You do have, and at least you project it, just a ton, a ton, a ton of confidence. And you've backed it up with big wins, consistent mm -hmm. big wins. The times, I want you to describe for somebody a, a time when you weren't feeling confident and what you did to overcome it. Do you just shut it up? Do you bury it deep down? Do you go back to the drawing board? You know, do you do you have any times where you weren't confident or you just you were just drilled it into your body that I will be supreme confidence the whole time? No, I mean, through this whole journey of defense, like all of last year, everybody kind of was like, you're not a defender. Like people, I mean, like I still hear it from people out here. They're like, you're not a defender, you're a blocker. And like it gets, I get pretty pissed about it. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, all right, well, I'm not a defender, but I took a ninth place in an AVP. And most people are only saying that. that they're only saying that because there are no blockers left and they all want you to block for them. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I was like, okay, well, uh, I mean, at that point I was like, well, I took a ninth, but like in the beginning of it all and like, I'm, I'm struggling and like, it's frustrating my entire off season of 2021. So like from like November of 2020 to like March of 2021, it was a struggle. Like there was times where I just like go home and I'm like, uh, I'm not going to be a defender. There's no way I'm not good enough. Like, um, but I, I think, uh, one Joey helped me out a lot with that. Cause he just, no matter what unwavering was like, no, you are, you're good enough. Like day in and day out. He's like, we're, we're going to go through struggles, but this is the process. Um, and then two is just like, I feel like most of my life I've had to just bet on myself and like, just roll with the, whatever, cards were dealt and i was like you know what my hand's gonna win no matter what i don't know how i'm gonna win my hand but uh whether it be through bluffing people or, or doing something i'm gonna figure it out and so i think i kind of got to a point like you know what like I, I i don't i might not have all the answers right now but i'm going to have all the answers at some point in my life um and i'm gonna keep working my butt off to try and get to that and so i think it was the confidence more in um myself like as a human being and my my work ethic and my character uh of like you know what like nobody's gonna put in this work to try and get to where you need to be even like and then you already have really good physical gifts so um let's use those two things and like when there's times you are struggling so let's say i'm not the best defender at this point um and but there's other things that i can do to help offset that um, so in the, in the process of becoming the best defender that I can be, let me also do the things that I do really well and help me still win while I'm learning that. And I think that confidence is kind of 
like building it through that and not necessarily harping on the negative, um, but kind of, you know what, we did this really well today. Uh, you always do this really well. So uh, let's keep doing that whenever we're in competition um, because we know we can win that way. So I think that builds that confidence. Whether you know it or not, you, you, you just basically talked about something that people talk about in psychology, sports psychology, and actually sales, which is called future pacing. And that the confidence in your future, what, where you're at or where you're struggling right now, that's not where your mind focuses once you get into trouble. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you take a look at, yeah, but this isn't where I'm going to be. You know, this is this is a step along the way because you see yourself as a champion in one, two, three, maybe five years. But you say, hmm, this was one of those things that I had to learn. This is this is a month long struggle that I have to go through in order to bring me to that next level. Instead of sitting in that misery and saying, this is where it sucks. You say this. <laughs> your mind doesn't say this is where it sucks. You say this is where it's going to be great because of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I don't know. It's just, I feel like there's just like resilience in me that Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's kind of always been there. And uh, it's funny if we talk about it, there's just like new Orleans as a whole, it's kind of just a resilient city in the fact, I mean, like think about like hurricanes and stuff like that. And just like, it, it always feels like there's, there's a lot of stuff that gets beat down there, but we're just like, that that rocky type of like it hit me hit me six times knocked me down six times i'm still gonna get up seven um and i think uh just that kind of like grit and determination that i mean it's just all over in in the city i mean uh a lot of great athletes have come out of there and um i think it's just kind of taught in our sports there growing up do you do you visualize do you have any like techniques where you say you have a picture of yourself mentally or an actual picture of yourself or a picture of somebody else that you've cut out your face on and, 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 and pasted it on in your bedroom that you hold on to that picture? Or is it just the idea of like, Hey, I'm going to be the top defender in the U S so that's, that's the mental picture that I have. Or is it you like sitting on a podium or is it you doing interviews afterwards? Do you do any of that visualization? I think in my brain, it's, um, one, I know that I can be the best defender in the U S and that's a goal. Uh, two, I know I can be an Olympian. Um, and then three, I know I can win a gold medal in the FIVB, if not the Olympics. And that's what I tell myself in my head. And, you know, when you first start like thinking about those things, you're like, no, you're crazy, whatever. And like, I think a lot of people when they, they hear that stuff, they're like, oh, it's crazy. But it's interesting because I feel like the more that you think about that, and then the more that you put the work in towards it, the more that you start, you know what, this can't happen. This can happen. This actually can happen. And so I feel like I thought about that like a couple of years ago in college. And I was like, you know what? I could I could play professional volleyball. Like in that in that and at that point, you're like, yeah, you're crazy. And then like you're like just getting in breaking into professional volleyball. And then you're like, oh, no, I can keep pushing this further. And so I think it's more of chasing. And I, I listen to this and Matthew McConaughey has like this great line. And the person that he looks up to is uh, himself 10 years from now. That's awesome. And, and so he's always going to be chasing that person. I think that's kind of how it's going to evolve for me. Cause like thinking back on it now is like, Oh, like this, this dream and like this, this, uh, vision of who I could be as an athlete just keeps evolving. Um, and so I think it's just going to continue to, to, uh, 
like me from like two years, three years from now. That's who I'm gonna. That's who I'm chasing after, because that's that's who I feel like I can be. And that's so great. And Matthew Matthew McConaughey has got a, a very interesting story where he didn't work for like five years. Yeah, because he didn't he didn't want to be that. Well, he didn't want to be stuck in his one role. Yeah, and then he got he got what thirteen and a half million dollar offer for one movie and he declined it because he was like, Nope, I, I'm not, I'm refusing to be in this role anymore. Mm-hmm. And I want to expand my, my limits as an actor, which is awesome. Can you imagine if you take that from Hollywood, from Matthew McConaughey, like he, he wasn't getting jobs. It's not that he left Hollywood. He just wasn't getting jobs because he wouldn't be there. Imagine winning a bunch and then doing a position shift saying like, you know, pulling an Avery and going from, blocker to defender for a little while or right now troy who's gone from blocker to defender right try and and trevor a bunch of people who made these shifts but imagine going for a four or five year span without <laughs> winning a tournament whether a major one well, or a middle it's one. almost like being like a just, qualifier uh, player for like four or five years like mm-hmm. staying in the qualifier after you've already been in the main and then you're back in the qualifier for four or five years don't qualify once Mm-hmm. And but you but you're like you know what no this is going to pay off. Yeah, it's a fun route and it and it waves. You know, I think the confidence that, that you're talking about sometimes it does wave because you said that it sounded crazy in the beginning. I kind of had straight up confidence in the beginning and then it waved back down where you have enough losses and you're like, "Oh man, uh, you don't know if that was just childish confidence." And then you start getting some wins, you start packing on some new skills, you get some big wins here. Oh, I got this again. And if you can fight through those little dips of confidence and hold on to that, the future pacing like we talked about, you're just going to keep going. Mm-hmm. And uh, people get stuck into where they are instead of where they are going to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I think people need to continue to do that. Players need to continue to hold on to where they're going to be, just like you said. Mm-hmm. Well, just a couple more questions that we have. So I just want to ask you, are there any tools, equipment, food, uh, supplements, or just must-haves that you always need at home, at practice, at the gym, or on the road while you're competing or while you're just relaxing? I think a big one, and I've kind of gotten to a habit of it, is like um, two to three times a week, like hydration, whatever kind of powder or whatever, uh, at least doing that like the that two to three times a week regardless of... Hydration powder, what do you mean? Like um, like those little like liquid IV packets or mm. any of any of that kind of stuff that people love to drink for tournaments. I've kind of noticed that if I do that like two to three times a week, it it helps me out like uh, muscle wise, and it helps me recovery wise. I feel like I'm not like because like sometimes uh, my muscles I have like problems huge like, muscles. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, but like I mean like, but that's a lot of muscle to like constantly be like straining. And so, like, I'll notice my muscles get super, super, like, tight and, like, not, like, I don't, I'm not going to cramp, but it feels like I'm going to cramp and, like, that, that tightness. The tightness, it really, yeah. It really is pretty relieved if I'm, like, staying on top of that. And, I mean, I, I mean, drinking a lot of water does stuff to a certain extent, but uh, I've noticed that, like, if you don't get those electrolytes in you, like, you don't retain the water as well. So that one's a huge, huge thing for me. So I, I don't have a specific brand or anything like uh, that I swear by, but like hydration, uh, like electrolytes are a must. This is going to sound really, really weird, but at tournaments 
and it's kind of just like my superstition uh gummy bears because <laughs> like <laughs> I, was, I like 20 minutes before a match i'll just like eat a mouthful and like it's like because gummy bears instantly turn into like that sugar in your body mm -hmm. and like spikes your blood sugar levels and like i'm like ready to go before the match then and uh it usually sustains pretty well for the length of a match about the time that like you need to go so that especially like in those longer tournament days um i mean avps and stuff now i'm gonna be playing way less matches it's not going to be as important but like those right. five six match days on match like four or five when you're like man i'm tired it just it gets you it gets you up it gets you going for that next match I and mean, that was one of the things and i mean most people are like oh but it's not healthy well you're burning 5000 calories in a day you're you're able to to afford some like artificial sugar that's going to yeah. get you that way are there better ways for for people out there like number one superstition a little mental help a little mental kick like i'm the gummy bear guy and that gives me the the confidence yeah that sugar 20 minutes before perfect timing yeah. You know, I would say maybe then at like, if you're 30 minutes into a match, hopefully you just wipe this team out and it's like a 38 minute match. But after that first set, another half a handful, just to make sure that sugar kick stays high. That's yeah. how it works. And you could do it with fruit or some, or some better sugars, but any little bit of sugar at that point, so long as you didn't take it an hour before the match and now you're on the sugar downswing, mm -hmm. um, that'll be bad timing. But 20 minutes before the match is perfect. And then if you can just keep it with a couple more, like supplement yourself yep. with a gummy bear every side switch. <laughs> it just makes the keep soul them in your happy pocket, too, just get them nice and sandy. <laughs> Long grueling day, it keeps the soul happy. So that's... <laughs> gummy bears are always happy. They got the little hands. Yes, exactly. They, um, you don't see the frowning gummy bears. They always got a smile. Uh, let's see what else uh i'm pretty big uh lacrosse ball person i always have a lacrosse ball in my bag to roll out i film all of our stuff i'm huge on trying to keep a video data bank of everything and i've actually taken your recommendation we have a private group for our practices now that uh i get to to watch on facebook live smart um, we, i mean we can go and watch stuff on zoom as a team but i have four yeah. or five people and we're just like all right we share the screen and just play it and we could talk about it all at once and it's really really helpful so i keep um tripod uh charger a portable charger with me bands uh like the ones that go around your ankles and stuff i think those are the most universal because you yeah. can also do some stuff with shoulders and stuff if you really need to um and that is about it i'm pretty big on like recovery tools i, I mean like to help supplement but i think stretching is more important than like using the theragun i think people want to just use that as like a oh okay i'll just theragun and i'm good to go i don't need to stretch yeah um yeah if anything it's theragun before stretch because the theragun will shut off the nerve endings so that you're less sensitive which means that you can get into a deeper range so if you're just theragunning for no reason like you might shut off some nerve endings if you're sensitive or in pain but then you need to increase your range after that so it should always be massage then stretch massage then stretch to deepen that range of motion and hopefully you can develop a little bit of strength in that deeper range yeah so i mean i have all kinds of different stuff for that but uh i think the stretching is more important and then i have um i just i've had knee problems since college and mm. uh i mean jumping and hitting as much as i did it's it takes a toll and so i mean um i have uh this thing it does heat and 
uh, cooling. It's not like the full, I think, temperature of ice, but it's pretty close. And uh, I travel with that everywhere because I think that helps me a lot. Um, kind of gets the knee warmed up for practice or after practice kind of cools it down and gets gets uh, everything feeling right after. Nice. Okay, last question, Ev. Uh, are there any projects or any things that you're working on outside of just competing in volleyball that you want to share with anybody? Yeah, so I mean, I have my own like clothing line. Awesome. Um, BlueNoseBeach.com. Uh, it's just uh, one way for people to both like rep me if they want to and also support me because all the profits just go to me. Um, and I think it's a good way, like at tournaments, like there's people that have certain things that people, you know what I mean? I want to be able to recognize if somebody's my fan mm -hmm. because that makes me like see them and then you know what i'm gonna go and have a conversation with that person because like thank you like to me if you're help supporting my journey like your family like and that's i mean that i mean it means a lot because for most beach volleyball players it's not easy to try and get this like career off and running um so any kind of support any even like 10 bucks you know what i mean i mean like i make 10 bucks on each shirt after everything and so that's it's like great. uh hey you just paid for like my meal at the tournament by yeah. buying it um and you're like giving that. them something i think yeah. it, it, the whole the whole patreon gofundme stuff really bothers me when mm. people aren't giving their fans or their supporters something that they'll enjoy something that they'll value hey support me while i play a game even though mm. there are tons of other bad things happening in the world like you know at least give something back yeah. to the world give them something that they'll enjoy something that they'll like apparel that they're going to love wearing and it's going to generate some conversation that's something good but if you're sitting there and you're just i have a, I have a big problem with the yeah. with the beg for money with gofundme and with patreon when yeah. you're not providing something for a business uh, mm -hmm. or for an individual something that they'll enjoy something that they'll benefit from i have, I have a huge problem with that players need it there's no doubt that we need <laughs> money but to to go around and with a with a handout when we're living a pretty privileged life and we can already spend four hours a day on the beach and working yeah. out it's like mm, you know what you're, you're gonna have to do something better for me i'm not saying that the people who have the money and want to support athletes shouldn't mm -hmm. but there's got to be a balance of can I provide something instead of ask for something? Yeah, I do. the. I mean, I do Patreon as well, but I, I was pretty big because like I was weighing options and I was I didn't want to do a GoFundMe because I feel like that's the biggest handout when you're, I mean, you're just like, hey, I have this dream. Can you support it? So for my Patreon, I mean, like I give like weekly updates. I give a calendar of where I'm going to be. I give workouts. So this is where I was like, I, nice. know what, I need people value. Great. I need to give workouts and I need to give practice like stuff um because like then at that point now you're getting an inside look at my life and you're getting mm -hmm. an inside look at what a professional athlete is doing to try and prepare yeah um, and how they can prepare yeah so and i think and just kind of and i and i'll give in my weekly updates sometimes it's not just like oh yeah this is what i did this week i try to find like a lesson or something that or something i've like thought about and learned this week Great. um and like give like a little bit of insight behind what I'm thinking at a certain point in time. Like, okay, like this week I was goal setting. I was trying to figure out what goals I was doing, what goes behind 
picking out my goals, what goes behind like the mindset that I have going into a tournament. You know what I mean? Giving something like a little bit extra because I feel like yeah. for the most part, people are just gonna be like, "Yeah, here's what I did this week," and I'm just like, "Oh well, that's not that interesting." Yeah, and if you you know if you're a great writer, if you're somebody like Travis who can make it an entertaining and educating read, then that's good. That's something that you are actually providing. Mm -hmm. You know. All right. If you guys want to follow him on uh, Instagram, it is Evan Corey Volley. Yep. You guys can check it out. Go ahead and give him a follow and check out his website and his clothes uh, over at bluenosebeach.com. Yeah. If you are here live right now, you can come on to the chat and enter it into YouTube or our Facebook group and you can ask uh, me and Evan some questions. First one is from Diana Marquez. Uh, she asked, Mark, where can I get one of your shirts? Diana, if you want to check out some Better at Beach shirts, you can head to betteratbeach.com forward slash shop, and you can check out the apparel there. Click on the apparel. It'll bring you to Teespring, and you can order those shirts. If you want to get some gear from Evan, you go to bluenosebeach.com, bluenosebeach.com. Uh, Christine Bredehoft says, hi, Evan. So good to see you. And she gave you a little heart. <laughs> That's a, a SOB person from uh, Colorado. Nice. Love it. Getting the, uh, the beach volleyball vacation circuit. Uh, you, you coach <laughs> for us. You coach for SOB. Did you do the volleyball vacations? I did. Nice. And Turks as well. So you've got all three. I have. You've done the whole circle. I love it. Yeah. And, and for anybody asking, there is no preference. I think they're all very different experiences and they're all great. So thanks, buddy. Except ours are the best, but if you, <laughs> you want to get better. Ron Birch says, kick some butt in Mexico tomorrow. My son's girlfriend is there and maybe she'll swing by and watch. Sweet. Tammy Clark Knapp, how you doing? Uh, I kept trying to convince my kids mm. to play. All I had to do was tell them that they can't play. <laughs> <laughs> I would uh, be careful with that, Tammy. Sometimes you can knock somebody down and they will never return. Uh, when you tell somebody they can't do something, it's confidence is a weird fickle thing with some people. And if you tell them that they can't, a large majority will shut down. And it's not that there's anything wrong with them. It's just that will hit them in a certain way that, I don't know, they might not ever return to something that they love. And so I like the support that, that you were given, Evan, aside, you know, you were given the opportunity to play and that's when it hit you up. I, yeah. I don't know if there was any benefit from keeping you, keeping you on the sidelines for two years, but uh, the opportunity to play and telling you that you can is what really fired you up. Mm -hmm. Okay. John, thanks for your input. He'd rather watch uh, play sports than watch any day. Monica said rail splitter. Do you know what yeah, mean? that's uh, Lincoln Memorial. That's our that's our mascot, the rail what? splitter. <laughs> yes. The Lincoln Memorial Rail splitters. splitters. Yeah, so this school was founded in honor of Abraham Lincoln, and one of his nicknames was the rail splitter because basically what he used to do back in the day, uh, he cut railroad ties, split the split the railroad ties, and he was a rail splitter. There you fun. go. That is a fun fact. And, uh, and our mascot is literally Abe Lincoln with the top hat. And he, just <laughs> carries, and he carries around an axe. It is so sick. <laughs> uh, 
Well, hey, next question. Uh, <laughs> uh, Grabowski, love you, buddy. Uh, thanks for following the conversation. Chris Littleman, do you know Chris Littleman? I don't. I feel like I do. Strong player who used to absolutely uh, poop on me when I first came out to Huntington. And he is now up in Seattle, Washington, maybe. And he plays at Seaside a lot. Yeah. And he loves hitting jumbos for how much it just demoralizes people. And he says, how many jumbos need to go down before you cheat to the jumbo? That is... Uh, <laughs> thankfully, thankfully for me, if I'm playing in the angle, mm -hmm. uh, I am probably one of the more rangy defenders just because of my height and... I don't. I don't ever like think about the jumbo. If it comes at me, I usually can just jump up and like get it in right. an awkward way. And I mean, that's kind of what you do with jumbos. You don't really ever just like, oh yeah, I'm planning for the jumbo. <laughs> yeah, there's there's like two players that I can think of where you sit there and you he's gonna go to a jumbo at at some point, and I usually know when it's about to happen. But everybody who is I feel so like both of these players you're about, about to that before shot. you're before you're about to say the people. I just want to guess. Is it Phipps? Justin Phipps is one of mine. You know, I haven't played him in so long, so maybe he used to get me before I was thinking then this way. Somebody like a Dana Camacho is yes. like a flower. He's thinking. somebody who comes to mind for sure. Uh, you know who? Like Hayden. Yeah. Hayden will will go for a jumbo at some point when he's in trouble, and you got to know that he's pulling that out because when he's trapped, when a lot of great players are trapped, great defenders usually think, okay, now they're going to go somewhere short around the block, so I'm going to step up. And great attackers know that great defenders are thinking that, so they punch it deep and fast. And so you got to play that little balance game where you don't sprint behind your blocker where you step up, but you're still ready to sprint instead of sprinting to location you think it's going to mm -hmm. be. So you got to hold that ground real nice. Um, and for anybody who's like so concerned about getting jumbled all the time, it's not going to happen a lot. Just stay at three quarters depth. If it does happen, jump and tomahawk or take a step back, but take that out of your concern unless you're, one of the the five two people who really needs to be quick on the ground, and in that case, don't jump and go. Keep your Trying ass, burn. yeah. Keep your ass low to the ground, and then when the ball goes up, you can't let your head or chest go up. You got to sit your butt down so that you can run. But people lose the ability to run when their chest and their head come up. So Norseca is happening tomorrow in Mexico. Well, when's when's the tournament start and are you going to attempt to live stream is it going to be live streaming anywhere yeah so my goal is to live stream on my facebook because i don't think it's going to be streamed anywhere and hopefully i don't know what the rights thing in mexico will be or anything hopefully that doesn't run any issues but my goal is to to kind of live stream and then uh it'll be on my facebook and it starts on friday okay so we're we were required to be there on thursday uh, by 6 p.m., kind of check in, do all like the formal stuff. And then Friday is pool play. Saturday, Sunday, I think, is playoffs. Uh, from experience, if you don't bring a jersey, they might not have one for you. I'm yeah, sure I have to go. May I'm have told play. you. I'm running uh, in about 45 minutes to go pick one up from Sean Scott at USA. Good. Yeah. We uh, were not told about that before we went. And we're like, yeah, we're going to a professional continental tour tournament they're gonna give us a tank top right 
Um, so we didn't even think about that. And then we had to run around and get Sharpies and get matching. Like we had to cut our own jerseys and we had to draw the number one and two and USA on it for the entire tournament. A nice little uh, Haynes. Haynes. <laughs> we supported the local economy, so that's fine. Uh, Ron Birch wants to know about the Blue Nose. Yeah. Um, so it was born out of necessity. It's not born out of showmanship. Uh, <laughs> it was um, during COVID. Uh, I was out in the sun a ton, and I was like, damn, my nose is getting charred. <laughs> like, always, no matter how much sunscreen I'd put on a tournament, it was just... I mean, in the Southeast, it gets hot, like, and that's just like a fact of it. <laughs> and uh, it didn't really matter how much I would reapply throughout a day. So I was like, I'm just going to go buy like the sunscreen that lifeguards were, the zinc oxide. I knew it was zinc oxide sunscreen. So I just went and looked it up on the internet. And the first thing that pulled up was uh, this company called Zinka, Z-I-N-K-A. And uh, they just happened to have uh, colored sunscreen. And I always, like before even the blue nose, I always wore a blue hat since I was like, 15 years old i guess the, i've always worn the same hat playing and uh then i was like i'll just match the color of the nose to the hat just kind of make it cool looking instead of just like an idiot <laughs> and uh, now you got a brand yeah and so i mean the first tournament i went and played after it, it was uh up at uh grand sands in ohio and uh it was like the first big one after covid kind of hit and uh, i won the tournament and everybody's like who's this kid with the blue nose mm-hmm. so there you go. Um, why am I going to change it? Everybody's who's this kid with the blue nose? I'm going to keep being the kid with the blue nose. That's it. Easy to find at tournaments. Is it going to stay uh, for the AVP in Norseka? Nice. Yep. I like Thanks it. Well, you got away. a website now, so you can't. You, now you're attached away. to it forever. <laughs> uh, okay. Patty Miller uh, says hello and best of luck this season. Uh, Chris Bredhoff says, good to see you. Uh, if you're coming to Denver for the AVP with Sammy, you've got a place to stay. Daniel Stevens would like to know like one piece of quick advice for attacking against a four block. So I think a huge key for attacking against a four block is having a good angle in your approach because it opens up your vision um, to see the blocker kind of making that move across the net. Mm-hmm. And then also it kind of opens up your peripherals. And like if you're staring that defender down in the angle and he makes a big move like a little too early, you can see that move. Mm. and you should be able to just shoot that ball over angle. Or if you only see the blocker and you're able to attack up high aggressively, then they're running that four, they're both moving. You see the block move, then you can just kind of come cross body and attack that pretty aggressively. Do you go into the mindset where you want to bang uh, away from the blocker or do you want to shoot over the blocker? I feel like you're a banger. Uh, but Yeah, and I mean, I'll even attack at the blocker. I, I don't care. Like... Mm. Uh, I, I mean, I've played indoor enough to where I can attack high hands and feel pretty comfortable about it. So uh, I'm not afraid to challenge the block. But also, if I know that they're getting into this game of moving around a lot and they're trying to run a four or something on me, because a lot of teams, it's what they kind of try and do is like, okay, we've let him hit a couple times and then let's run a four and let's try and be like a little sneaky about it. He's either going to shoot a high line, trying to go over the block or try and bang this ball angle. And so... Whenever that happens, I usually am just like, oh, you see me? Okay, just hit the ball away because you're selling out. Most of the time, they're just selling out and trying to get that high line or the hard swing. Okay, so if you've got the height and you like swinging, stay with the swing. If you're a shooter, then look for the blocker, look for the defender, and either shoot over the blocker uh, 
Brad Keenan used to say, I just used to look for the block. And if I wanted to shoot, I would get <laughs> over them. Like he never looked at a defender once. He says, I was just like, that, that always baffled me, but uh, run doubles on Brad Keenan, I guess double yeah. up. <laughs> and do you come in looking to hit one angle? So for me, I like to come in thinking I'm going to hit one shot, you know, whether it's a high line, whether it's a cut shot, whether it's a cross, and then I have an off switch where if I see something, uh, then I'll, then I'll hit the next thing. Is that what you like to do, or do you like to go up with a blank slate? I think I'm always up in the air looking to swing if I can. And then it kind of changes from there because since challenging the block, you've got to wait and see where the blocker's at and stuff like that. But I'm always, always looking up to go up and attack aggressively because then that makes defenders think a little bit extra. I think if, because then sometimes if I go up thinking to shoot, then I slow down my approach. I slow down my arm and then it's like oh okay well we can just wait and watch and see what you're gonna go and hit now so i always try and come in aggressively because i think that opens up my offense the defenders don't know what to do as much and so that helps me out i think it's funny i think now uh when i'm looking for shoots i come in super hard you know and i like make sure that my arm moves almost faster than it does when it swings because i'm like i, I gotta make sure that i sell I the gotta shoot sell this. i gotta sell this <laughs> But that was way different than what I used to do. It used to be all slow, slow, slow arm and everything. But now I whip my arm through my shots. Laura Tucker says... Hi, Mom. Uh, that's your mom? Yeah. Nice. She wants to know uh, what, you, what you're looking forward to most uh, this year on tour. You know, um, I think it's just uh, getting to experience my first full year on tour and traveling for an entire year. Uh, I mean, last year it was three events and there was a lot of grassroots stuff and 2020 was all grassroots. There was no AVP. Mm -hmm. And so this year, I mean, I finally get a full schedule. I finally get the opportunity to go and play some international. So just getting to experience everything. And uh, I mean, I want to kind of soak that all in at the same time as trying to, to win. You know what I mean? Um, but I think it's going to be just, it's going to be cool. And like, it's something I think uh you can't like take for granted you know what i mean i want to i want to like take it in and i want to be able to feel those emotions of like the first time going places and, and traveling and and doing all these cool things because uh it's like you were saying it's an opportunity of stuff that we get to do that most people don't get to and so i want to take advantage of that also while competing at a high level cool how many times eric wants to know how many times you're practicing uh, on the sand right now so as of right now we're like three to four times a week on the sand and then three to four times in the gym as well okay um, and it's about a two two hour practice and a hour and a half hour lift that's yeah okay. yeah and then uh there's like um 30 ish minute thing that uh we kind of do 30 45 minutes that's every day um that my strength and conditioning coach has me doing okay just is that a mobility or a conditioning or a uh, it's more uh, like deficiency in what he's like been seeing. Like, okay, let's build these muscles up every day, whereas we'll we'll do like the the whole body and whatever we're focusing on as a team mm -hmm. uh, these three to four days. But every day you need to be doing this so you can catch up to where you need to be, um, and then stretching and stuff on top of that, which I feel like is another hour in the day at least. Nice. Is that like a glute activation or a back pedal or a side shuffle? Um, or you don't have to share it. But. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of posterior chain stuff for me. A lot of cool. hamstrings, a lot of glutes, because 
I have really large quads, but I don't have massively large hamstrings or, or glutes. Well, it's, it's nice to have a trainer who can see that and then give you that homework. That's such mm -hmm. an advantage for people who, you know, kind of go it on their own all the time to not, it, a lot of times your strengths and your weaknesses hide from you, 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 you know, be, or they hide behind your picture of yourself. And that yeah. is, that is not an objective picture. And to have somebody, a coach, a trainer, just looking at that, even if it's once a week to say, Hey, here's your homework for the week. Boom, boom, boom. But if yeah. your trainer, if you're one, somebody who sees a trainer once a week and you don't get a homework assignment from them, you're they're wasting your time and money. Them. Yeah. And they're not doing their job. Okay. Rucky life asks, what's the hardest part of living and training in California? I think the hardest part of just like professional being a professional athlete is like the discipline it takes. Um, because there's a lot of times, I mean, I'm 24 years old. I have a lot of friends. They have a lot of social life and stuff like that. But there's times where you have to say no. And like, I think like at a younger age, it's really hard to do, especially like you, you see your friends going out and having fun, but it's two days before a tournament. It's, it's Wednesday or Thursday. And you're like, you know what, if I go and drink tonight, I'm not going to perform at my highest level. Um, so I think it's living the discipline. It's, oh, I, I love fried chicken, but guess what? I ain't getting to eat fried chicken because it ain't healthy for me right now. <laughs> and it doesn't exist uh, in California. <laughs> it's um, all raw, so naked, it, uh, faux chicken, vegan. <laughs> I think that kind of creates the difference between the highest level and, and the lower qualifier level players is that discipline day in and day out. Um, because it's, it is every single day. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, and I think um, if you can't do that every single day, if you take if you take two days off, if you take your Saturday Sunday off, you're not you're not doing what you need to do. Right. And I see people come to California, and you're like, yeah, you made the first big step. I'm proud of you. You're gonna go get it. And then they get into the wrong crowd, the wrong life, or the wrong temptations, or the wrong part time job mm -hmm. that crushes them, introduces them much, to yeah. party life, changes their sleep pattern to a point where, you know, if you're bartending, right, you think like, ah, oh, you know what, I can bartend. Well, if you're bartending, you're on your feet all day long, you're bending over, so your low back is shot, uh, you're tempted to drink all the time, you're probably meeting a bunch of guys and girls, and that's like, gonna try to zap your time away. And yeah. you have to figure out what you're going to do to support yourself, that is going to take away from your volleyball the least because if you stay up till 4 a.m during the week your body's going to want to stay up till 4 a.m during a tournament and you're going to be screwed like that's yeah. the time when you fire up is is after 11 p.m if you're a bartender right yeah. that is not serving you on the court so too many people get out here and then they get you know californicationed and yeah. they forget why they came it was yeah. for volleyball thanks for having me on and um looking forward to a good year good hell yeah see, man. see you in austin See you in Austin. Good luck. Appreciate your time. Uh, guys, go follow him at Evan Corey Volley on Instagram and check out his swag collection and maybe join his Patreon so you can get his practice updates. Uh, check that out at bluenosevolley.com. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Evan. Appreciate you. Have a good one, man. See you.